This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier, and happier life. Today, I have a very special guest on this episode. It's Dr. Malcolm Mackay, all the way from Melbourne, Australia at 7.30 in the morning. So I'm very grateful for him for sharing part of his weekend to be with us on this discussion. Dr. Mackay has 35 years of general practitioner experience. His clinic is in Melbourne, Australia. He has a huge uh, background in plant-based nutrition. In fact, he is a fellow uh, has been awarded a fellowship of the Australasian Society of Lifestyle Medicine. He has completed the board certification in lifestyle medicine, and he finds that balance inside his practice between talking about nutrition and lifestyle with his patients and also with the medication side of things and the more uh, classic allopathic approach. His interest and passion is running some immersions uh, in Victoria, Australia, where patients are able to come over a six-day period and immerse themselves in lifestyle improvements, and he has seen tremendous results from running those, and in fact has another one coming up in a few weeks, and has been running them around four a year, and it's a growing and very exciting part of what he does. So, Dr. Mackay, thank you so much for joining us to have a discussion today about lifestyle medicine inflammatory arthritis and what it's like being a doctor in today's situations. Thank you, Clint, for having me on your podcast. Yeah, and uh, I did say, Mackay, whereas when we last met, I introduced you from stage at the Doctors for Nutrition conference, and I said, Mackay, and I got in trouble for that, didn't I? You jumped on me. Yeah, I must have been feeling twitchy. Usually, I just accept the Mackay, particularly when I'm in the United States. Yes, well, they are a little bit of the McKay, McKay rather than the Mackay. Now, let's talk about how you got interested, first of all, into becoming a doctor. I mean, was this something that, like as a child, we run around with pretend stethoscopes and stuff and we say, oh, we want to be a doctor and you just followed through on that? Or is it something you had, uh, you know, just came to get into after you found that you just fell in love with university? You know, I'd love to give a passionate presentation about how my family doctor saved my grandmother or something like that. But it was it was actually sort of assumed. It was sort of assumed that I'd probably go and study medicine. It was sort of my father was a doctor. My mother's father was a doctor. His father was a doctor. It was sort of a bit of in the family. Um, although I think towards the end of my school life, I more considered that maybe I'd go into medicine and, you know, become a researcher. And and I think at the time when I went into medicine, I sort of thought I was very interested in human genetics. Um, yeah, interestingly, I, over I've, before long, I sort of realised that you know the the genetics that we've inherited, the genes we've inherited, are not truly the determinants of our health. Yes, yes, they determine our risk levels, and sometimes we inherit one that's you know a, d- a definite causes definite effects, but most of the time the sort of, you know, as they say, um, genes put the car into drive, but uh, lifestyle pushes the accelerator. 
So, uh, and how did I become interested? Well, that was only a few. My, I think my family, my father, always emphasised the importance of nutrition. But it was like you need to eat meat and eggs and those sort of foods that make us strong and smart and things. And partway through the medical course, I was getting back into distance running, which I'd done at school. And you know, I was about three years out of school, and three or four, three years, four years, and. Um, so, you know, I was interested in sports performance and we had one lecturer, a crusty old cardiologist who, who showed us gruesome slides of stroked out brains and heart attacks and blocked arteries and gangrenous legs and talked about this all over the body disease of artery disease of atherosclerosis, you know, the, the cholesterol plaques, inflammatory blocking of arteries. And he said, called it the inevitable process of atherosclerosis. Like it will always happen as you get older. And But here are some risk factors. And then it, within the same sort of semester, someone else giving a lecture told us that there were groups of people in the world, like the Highland Papua New Guinea people, who have very low fat, very low salt diets. In other words, in Papua New Guinea, they were just eating sweet. Never get artery disease as long as they live. And for me, it was like, what? What? Number one disease that's inevitable. And there are people who are poor and have little education and no, no almost no medicine, and they don't get so. So, uh, you know, I was sort of in on this. And uh, as other diseases came up in the course, it was always the same story. You know, where do you get the most rheumatoid arthritis? Where do you get most ulcerative, you know, inflammatory bowel disease, diabetes? It was always the same diet and lifestyle risk factors. Um, right from the start, I considered exercise was important. Anyway, I was in on this. And so, like, I was going to have my cake and eat it too, have all the luxuries of the Western world and uh, eat the sort of minimally processed, low-fat, low-salt, plant-based foods that uh, these peoples ate. And, like, it seemed to work for me. It's like before long, I ran a 232 marathon. Um you know, won a couple of triathlons. So, like, it seemed to work. All my colleagues thought I was crazy. And uh, and I can lead on from that story. And it was sort of a year or two later, someone gave me one of the Pritikin books. And it was like, oh, so I wasn't crazy after all. Anyone who sort of got their mind open and eyes open as they study, you know, medical science or sort of come across this material. And it's like, ah, oh, Nathan Pritikin. And that sort of led to an era after I graduated where, um, we had a, a very active Pritikin Health Association across Australia. And so I became president of the South Australian branch and I would give presentations, you know, monthly public meetings or introduce other key speakers. We even had someone talk about gut microbiome in the late 1980s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I remember he said, humans are like cows back to front. Like we, fer the cows ferment up the front end of their gut, we ferment down the back end. <laughs> I love it. I can't think of too many other ways we're like cows, but, but I like that one. And so you said that all your, um, uh, you know, your your physical capabilities improved, especially with your long distance running. It's kind of famous for, you know, plant-based diet is kind of famously successful for any kind of long distance endurance kind of stuff. I mean, this was obviously in line also with you know your your studies and and as you said, joining and becoming the the president of the the Pritikin movement and stuff in Australia, and this was way back before any of this became trendy in adverted commas. Because today, you know, you got celebrities going plant based, and it's kind of become trendy. It wasn't even trendy by any stretch going back sort of twelve years when I started doing this, let alone when you started. I mean, you really must have raised some eyebrows back then. 
Um, yeah, no, they just they thought I was a bit crazy. You know, I'd smoked too much weed or something. But um, yeah, I guess you know I was sort of a, a bit sort of uh, I was just you know typical obsessive, determined you know, sort of not very extroverted medical students. So it's sort of like I, I just did it. Yeah, just went for it. Um, now, in your practice, you obviously see people coming in throughout the day which have all different range of health conditions. Uh, how do you find that balance between wanting to impart the most foundational help you can, being, you know, what they put into their bodies and how they live their their lives, versus the need to relieve the symptoms pharmaceutically so how do you how do you assess on a case-by-case basis how to deal with that dilemma you know um whole foods plant-based nutrition and and you know the, the whole healthy lifestyle package is not sort of mutually exclusive with pharmaceutical treatments you know like if someone had a really bad inflammatory rheumatoid arthritis I'm going to want to use drugs to settle down those joints as they sort of, you know, cause a lot of pain, stiffness, and sort of and self-destruct. So I'll, I'll want to use drugs to settle down the, the process. But at the same time, we'll want to bring in the, the um, diet and lifestyle measures. And then over a period of time, like, like the patients with high cholesterol and heart disease, yeah, I'll leave them on their cholesterol tablet. But every few months, I'll test it again. And as it as it keeps, you know, and each time it's within the recommended targets and things, I'll, I'll drop their cholesterol drug another step, and often end up. Um, and, and the same with blood pressure, I'll keep checking their blood pressure, looking at their home readings. So I won't immediately stop those, but as their bio measures sort of improve, or in the case of you know arthritis, as their joint pains improve, I'll gradually back off their medication. So the the lifestyle, it's not sort of exclusive. Mm-hmm. I love that, a little yeah. bit more about that practice, you know, like I think in the plant-based world, people think that if I say to some um, someone, look, you know, the acne you've got um, and, um, you know, if you just change your diet and, and ate less dairy foods, it would sort of probably go away and you wouldn't need this, um, you know, hazardous sort of drug treatment for it. And the person would go, oh, thank you, doctor. No one's ever told me about the link between dairy and acne. No, they go. I don't eat much dairy or my diet's good. I, one, one time, I, think, I don't think I was being too tactless. One time I even had someone sort of thump the desk because they stated they're already vegetarian or something. So, you know, in when you just sort of want to practice lifestyle medicine, it's actually quite difficult because you get tied up with this, like talking politics and religion. And so I sort of regarded it as sort of like um, I'm casting out the bait, I'm dangling the carrot. You know, if a man comes to me, you know, a guy in his 40s with high cholesterol on cholesterol tablets and blood pressure tablets and maybe Viagra for that little problem, um, you know, yeah, wouldn't it, uh, I'll say to him, look, you know, um, you know, as well as taking the cholesterol tablet, it wouldn't make much sense to eat foods that raise cholesterol because when you eat chicken, you know, eggs, I, I start naming the foods they think might be healthy. When you eat salmon and chicken and eggs and, and meat and dairy, they'll make your cholesterol go up from wherever it is to start with because that stops them arguing that it's genetic. Wherever your cholesterol is at to start with, eating more of these foods will make it go up. But if you eat more things like um, oats and beans, they'll actually bring it down. And so that's sort of like you dangle a carrot and, you know, they might sort of inquire more or you just tell someone that, oh, yeah, you know, um, I've been reading lately that 
with the say the lady with acne who's sort of really too old to still have acne, it's like you know, um, there've been quite a lot of studies showing that dairy proteins particularly bad for acne, and you know, and if they sort of just glare at me. You know, you just have to drop the subject and then you get further into the consult and they're complaining about some other medical symptom that you're thinking again, oh, that's another one related to the diet. And sometimes you just sort of have to keep it zipped. Um, but, you know, sometimes there are surprises. I once wrote in someone's file, like, um, uh, not open to lifestyle change for this condition or something. In other words, you know, looked angry and and was flat out rejected it, but you've got to be nice in your case notes. And then about six months later, she's saying, what's the best plant milk, doctor? So you never know when you sort of put out the, when you sort of just plant the seed, you never know when it will grow. I mean, it might be that they end up with some niece or someone who sort of talks to them or they watch the game changes. And your little seed you planted may, you know, I I sort of always think that the seed I planted, even if it sort of looks like it's just rejected, one day it might grow. Yeah, I really like how you said about those touch points because I was listening to something, um, gosh, I don't know where I got this information, but I was hearing about how these days we're just confronted with so much information constantly because we're connected to the internet that back in the day we might have, you know, as a consumer, maybe purchased something based on a billboard and seeing something only once or maybe twice, seeing it on a billboard and then maybe a TV commercial and you've You've made your decision based on that repetition of only two touch points. But now apparently we need to see something like 20 times before we think, okay, that's penetrated through all the other noise. And so, you know, I I think that the more little touches that people can hear about these positive influences in their life, the better. And it may not, as you said, be in your consult with this patient that they make the decision to improve the amount of plants that they eat, but uh, but it may it may contribute, and and that's crucial. Are there any favourite kind of conditions that you just start rubbing your hands together and say, oh, I can wipe this out? You know, you know, are there ones that when you get the right patient willing to do something, you get excited because of the somewhat simplicity in treating it with a lifestyle change. Some of the gut conditions. Like, you know, when people have irritable bowel symptom syndrome and, you know, they have diarrhea and they have constipation and diarrhea and oh, pains yeah. and things, I always say to them, the constipation part of it, I can fix that. Definitely we can fix that easily. Yeah, so, you know, just sort of taking the diet from being, um, you know, processed food and animal products to, to actually even containing a moderate amount of uh, fibre-containing whole plant foods can turn that right around. Uh, and sometimes even with um, just dropping dairy foods for, for quite a few conditions, just dropping the dairy foods can sometimes make all the difference, you know, you... whether it's high cholesterol or acne or gut symptoms. Right. And would you say that that is one of the first things that you like to encourage people as a first step? Yeah, sometimes, although other times, you know, it's sort of, easier to sort of um, have an add-in approach, like this person's really set on their paleo sort of diet and then it's like, well, can you add in some, you know, oats or can you add in um, just a small amount of legumes per day? Mm. Yeah. yeah. I so like sometimes I might sort of take a, you know, um, stop dairy and, and other times, you know, it might be more appropriate just to sort of take that add-in because some people's diets, a lot of people's diets are so 
minimal in, in plant foods, in fruit and vegetables, that just adding in a cup of cooked vegetables a day can make a difference. I heard something frightening. Uh, I guess it's one of these sort of frightening stats you hear about US nutrition, and I believe that the most common two vegetables Americans consume in their diet are potatoes and tomatoes, and the way they consume it by large is french fries and ketchup pizza ketchup mm. and pizza right mm. so they're the two vegetables going in and the format going in is pretty lousy so mm. i mean the situation is really really severe isn't it i mean whilst you and i have colleagues and friends and probably spend most of our time talking to others who think similarly to us around plant-based nutrition and this kind of lifestyle. The general public are quite in a different boat. It's quite remarkable. I mean, have you got any, have you got any uh, humorous stories of, or, or, or examples of some people who might come into your clinic who virtually eat no plants or just are uh, just on extremely poor diets? Yeah, I mean, I've had one patient who was on a carnivore diet for a period of time, like no, just meat and eggs. And, uh, you know, his gut was so bad that he'd add any small amount of anything slightly fermentable, like, you know, any starches, grains, and he's, oh, it gives me a tummy ache. But, you know, he also said, look, um, yeah, with this diet, I get a bit of diarrhea every day, but there's one day a week while I'll ease off, I'm just eating meat, and my gut's better on that day. And I was like, go figure. It's crazy. actually. Um... Just last month, uh, at the time of this recording, Joe Rogan, very popular podcaster here in the States, did a mm, uh, whole month mm. on the carnivore diet and, uh, you know, showed his physique at the end compared to his less sort of sculpted physique at the start. Uh, and, you know, I think that when someone with a very high profile and a very large audience goes on an extreme diet like that, you know, people without too much, you know, self investigation can just blindly follow and try these things and uh you know um it's not a game this is this isn't like you know a game that you can switch off this are our these are our bodies this is our our you know human existence and i consider those kind of extreme approaches to be uh you know dangerous if people aren't careful Look, this is a long-term, this is going to be a you know tsunami of chronic disease. The whole low-carb diet movement's creating a future disaster. You know, the more years you have, you know, inflamed bodies and, and, and inflamed gut and high cholesterol, et cetera, the more years you have it for, the earlier you're going to get heart disease. You know, you're going to get heart disease and dementia more and earlier and, and more arthritis, more inflammatory gut disease than our parents got. It's a disaster. And in Australia, low-carbs really... Uh, really popular and it's been popularized partly we can blame this this the corrupted part of csiro nutrition with their you know csiro low carb diet um a lot of the doctors are onto this in australia and you're like you know it sounds really good you know you're going on low carb diet so you're not having sugar and all those processed junk foods but if i said to you clint you know you could be much healthier 
if you stopped eating whole grains, legumes and fruits and ate more meat and fat-rich dairy foods and processed plant fats instead, you'd laugh at me, you'd think I was joking. But when you actually sort of couch it in terms of, you know, sugar is bad and low-carb, it sort of doesn't sound as silly. Um, a lot of my colleagues, even some of those in lifestyle medicine in Australia and New Zealand, are, are going down this path. And uh, I just like it. It just does my head in. Like eat more of the foods that make us sick, like eat more meat and dairy and oil. To it, It's senseless. You mentioned oil uh, just before we move on. And, and I want to hear about your immersions and talk about some examples you may have seen of people improving on the immersions. My nemesis, my enemy to the core is any kind of any kind of vegetable oils, uh, and I'm glad you mentioned that. It, give me your your clinical recommendations about oil consumption and also whether or not you and your family allow a little oil. You know, when I first started this with a pretty condite and my obsessive personality, I, I was really, you know, really strictly super low salt, low fat. Surprising I didn't, you know, faint running or something, but... Uh, um, from low salt, but uh, I'm still still fairly low salt, almost as low. Um, yeah, so right from the start, it was like all uh, fats are bad. I didn't discriminate. Um, and, and so for me, it was no oil low, and low-fat foods right from the start. We've got a whole page on our website um, called No Oil and a no, how to cook with no oil page attached to it. Um, you know, it's processed food. It's had all the nutrients and fiber stripped away from it. Um Oil is damaging to the endothelium. I mean, you know, extra virgin olive oil, which is not the olive oil that most people drink, you know, might have a few polyphenols and be less bad. But it's like, if I'm talking to someone about cigarettes, I'm not recommending a less bad cigarette. I'm just going to say don't smoke cigarettes. So, you know, the oil is damaging to the arteries. It's bad for the gut microbiome. Uh, and as far as our experience with our immersions go, you know, we see resolution of joint pains. And I think um, part of, even we've even seen it in people who have come there and already been on a reasonably healthy vegan diet. And I think it's because we completely eliminate oil from their diet. You know, when, when people are still eating a little bit of oil, because it's so high in calories, you know, it's like a super concentrated food. They don't realize how much it's contributing to their daily intake. And if they eat oil at home, then they go out and they don't notice just how high in oil the meal is when they go out or when someone else makes food. Um, so, you know, I, I know it's difficult when people go out and other people make their food, but certainly if you're treating disease or trying to have optimal health, oils just like Oil's one thing to be avoided, just like chicken's something to be avoided. And people would say, is a little bit going to harm me? You know, it's vegan. Well, like, is a little bit of chicken going to harm you? Yeah, probably. Mm. In the case of inflammatory arthritis, you know, if I was to want to inflict the least harm as possible onto someone who begged me to eat chicken or oil, I would say eat some chicken um, because the impact of the oil in my uh, view would create a greater uh, detrimental outcome for that person than the chicken if we had to choose from either of those two bad things. Let's talk more about your immersions. Tell me where you have them, how people can participate in them, what they can expect, what the food's like. Give us some examples of, of improvements that people see over and above what you've mentioned with the arthritis. 
Yeah, we're, we're up to about emotion number eight, which is on the week after next. Um, it, it's a live-in event, which we hold uh, in uh, Anglesey on the surf coast of Victoria, about an hour and a half out of Melbourne. You know, we did a pilot and then we're looking for a venue. We wondered how we could do this. And then uh, a lady, Anita, contacted us and said, look, uh, you know, I've got a vegan cafe and it's less than 100 metres from the Great Ocean Road Resort at Anglesey and we could get together and so we did. So we rent, you know, the required number of rooms that we need for people at the uh, at this huge sort of motel resort and we use their conference room and we've set that up and we're in there, you know, most days uh, Jenny and I are giving talks and has, and we have, you know, books for sale. And the lady that has the cafe brings the breakfasts and the lunches and the afternoon air-fried potatoes that are very popular um, up to the venue. Um, on four of the nights, we all walk down the road, you know, less than 100 metres to her cafe, which isn't usually open during the week, and we have a meal there. And then usually we watch a, we watch a documentary after dinner. So that that's sort of how we do it. Um, and um, we're very strict about this. Like, you know, we're, we're giving an example of what people need to eat. So, you know, it's all, it's like no oil, um, low salt. Um, Anita has, uh, Anita has some assistance with this and we're often onto them and go, Hey, Hey, no, not too much miso in that, please. We're really onto the oil on the salt because we've really got to set an example. And, you know, when people and there's a really high level, so so the adherents, unless they go down to the local service station and buy a packet of something, really, we've we've got them captive. And I often joke and say we're monitoring the CCTV at the uh, local service station too. And so the adherence is really really high. And you know, even within a few days, within the six days, we've seen a number of people. Particularly, I mean, we see people who sort of. After a few days, you know, often there's some problems. One or two days in, they're often having a few gut rumbles and they're sort of, you know, sometimes not feeling that great. As the six days goes on, people report that they feel better, they're sleeping better, you know, they feel sharper and more alert, they have more energy. Because we have, we, we do activities as well. This is sort of um, a lifestyle immersion where nutrition's the keystone and the biggest focus. But we also, you know, go for morning beach walk. Where we stay is a 10-minute walk or five-minute, 10-minute walk along, I say five minutes because I'm the running group, uh, a 10-minute walk along the uh, um, parklands by the Anglesey River, and then we're on the main ocean beach. So three of the mornings we do sort of a, a beach walk, and the two other mornings we have someone come in and uh, put on a yoga session. Um other things we do, we have someone do a couple of meditation sessions as part of it. I give presentations um, on um, on you know other lifestyle things like sleep and things as well as nutrition, and we do quite a bit of practical stuff. Like Jenny talks about um, uh, calorie density and label reading, and we visit a local supermarket. We've arranged with a local supermarket ten minutes walk away, or we can drive people if they're not very able bodied. We actually do a supermarket tour where we walk around and, and and analyze the labels of foods we might commonly purchase. Yeah, and there's a lot of group support. We usually have about 10 or 15 people there. We, we sort of cap it at 10, 15. I don't think we've ever gone over 16. And we find there's a really good group interaction. 
Uh, and that, that's a really important part of it. And and the group sort of the group on their own sort of starts discussing things and we sort of we sort of encourage that on some topics. Let's have a breakout into groups of three or four and discuss uh, you know, barriers you're likely to face. So we try and not just give people the perfect diet and lifestyle for the six days. We want to send them home fully armed, knowing what to buy, knowing how to cook it. We do um, Anita, who provides all the food side of it, she she does cooking demonstrations through the week, a number of those. We want people to be fully armed and know how to do it. And we also want people to understand the uh, social barriers and the uh, the psychological things about, you know, what drives us to eat rich food and, you know, to binge eat. So we try and, you know, the aim is to actually, by the end of the week, to send people home self-sufficient. And and we've started doing, we do meetups about six weeks later, we do a um, video conference with the group. And then we've got these ongoing um, video conferences, meetings, where we've started doing short webinars and then a, a chat to anyone who's been to one of our immersion events. The sort of results... Um, do you mind if I keep talking? Please, this is fascinating. I do, yeah, just hold your, <laughs> um, hold your this, thought. Hold your thought. And the reason I want you to keep talking is because periodically we get requests for Patterson Program retreats and they say, can I go somewhere where it's a living immersion style event? And we have not been living in one place long enough to ever sort of get our roots down and then work like you have with somewhere local and organize this. And it's a lot of work. I mean, I'm hearing all this and I appreciate how much work's put in. So what I'm getting at here is if you have the proximity to Victoria, Australia, then I recommend you go to Dr. Mackay's retreat Hmm. and go and spend six days with him and wonderful Jenny. I'm sure that the hospitality would be second to none. You can see how friendly he is. His wife's just the same. And this would be a wonderful opportunity. The no oil is crucial. A lot of folks with uh, rheumatoid find it difficult to find a retreat where they get the cleanliness of what you have discussed, as well as the educational and the other aspects. So please continue. And I want people, listeners, to think that this could be an opportunity uh, for them if they have, again, the proximity. I know Australia is a long way away from the rest of the world. And then Victoria is another step down uh, a little further still. Um, but um, the Great Ocean Road, I mean, that's a beautiful part of the world that I've only seen once and would love to go back to. So I hope you've kept that thought that I hold, asked you to hold and uh, yeah, please continue. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it, it is a lot of work and um, it, it's not just, you know, it's, it's really the core team. We have a helper person and someone come in and do, you know, yoga and meditation sessions. And we sort of have a helper person who's sort of like a nutrition intern. Um, um, it, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of satisfaction. You know, um, we really see we, we see these quite early, in, and, and I provide consultations there. I provide medical consultations, um, and, and that's really important. If someone comes in on insulin, we've had a couple of people um, on insulin for type 2 or type one and a half diabetes, and, you know, um, for that sort of condition, that sort of drug, the problem with some of those um, conditions is that you get better too quickly, yeah. and and so then you don't need as much. So then you have you know the the drug. It's not that the the, the change in diet causes low blood sugar. It's like takes away the cause. And we've had a couple of looking shaky at meditation in the morning, and I'm going um, 
think you better eat some of that bread or something over there. And, and he said, oh, what are you cutting my insulin down? And with these two people I think of, they both left um, left on about a third to a half of the uh, insulin they had been on and actually maintained that. Uh, I think one of them actually ended up stopping altogether and, and the other one uh, I think still continues because, you know, they've probably got type one and a half diabetes. As so... I get, we get a lot of satisfaction seeing early in the immersion people's aha moments. We've seen people sometimes in tears when they realise that it's not their fault that they can't help it, but reach for the rich food and eat the rich food. Mm. And then people have a real aha, oh, so that's what's going on with my health. And now, now I understand the nutrition aspect. And then as people start to, we see people transform their health in that period of time. And that gives me more sort of, work satisfaction than uh, than most of my clinical consulting. Like, here's another blood pressure tablet. You need a certificate for your cold, you know, more paperwork. But yeah. to see people really, they ah, wake up and understand things and tr- and start to see health trends. That's so, so satisfying that, that, you know, despite the fact that Jenny and I are like up at six in the morning, um, organising the morning work walk, giving talks through the day, making sure everything runs smoothly, running in and out and locking and unlocking the seminar room, um, you know, up there and down in the restaurant in the cafe after the, you know, with Anita, who's still going to do the washing up at that time, you know, at 10 o'clock at night after the documentary is all finished. But it, it, we get a lot of satisfaction out of it, even though it's an exhausting week. In terms of some of the transformation, I think you might be interested in the joints. I can think of three particular cases. There was one lady who came there with her husband and she sort of said right from day one, look, I'm not doing this. I'm still going to eat meat, but he's, you know, he needs this for, I think it was his heart. And uh, and about three or four days into it, her chronic knee pain, her knee that always hurt, stopped hurting. (laughs) And, And so I was like, oh, my knee stopped hurting. And we had some communication with her like about a month later. It's like, uh, well, I've been doing heavy gardening. The knee still doesn't hurt and uh, I've lost a lot of weight and I'm doing this 100% with my husband. Um, another lady had rheumatoid arthritis and uh, on the on the lunch on the Friday, on the last day before we all go home, she's making a note on a piece of paper and she sort of goes, oh, and sort of stop, pauses and moves her thumb on her right hand is, ah, oh, that joint's not hurting as much. So mm. that was great. And the other one I can think of is someone who actually had um, a congenital foot bone deformity. And even though she was already on a pretty healthy diet, this, this foot would always ache, but especially on a vegan diet. But when we was, on, but after six days of the no oil and low fat, like we're not, we, we do have a few nuts and seeds in the cooking, but it's really quite, we, we go more, and there's plenty of reasons why I'm still with the school of thought of, you know, Pritikin and McDougall and Neil Barnard and Caldwell Esselstyn and Dean Ornish. Gee, everyone seems on the same track there. That, <laughs> um, um, you know, we're, we're emphasising the starches and the, we sort of deliberately keep the nuts and seeds and avocados quite low, but, but the oil in particular. Yeah, this this lady, by the end of it, her um, her foot stopped hurting, even though she's already on a reasonably ve- healthy vegan diet. And she maintained that after the event. Mm. 
Yeah, so there, there are some examples. The, another big example is I probably we've probably done this done this one overdone is uh, Jenny Jenny's eighty three year old mum who often comes to our events and uh, I think she enjoys the company and it's sort of like her Livian resort where she gets fed healthy food for the week. <laughs> she 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 sort of gradually after I came into Jenny's life, Jenny's mum gradually shifted her diet. It wasn't until her, her husband passed away and she moved to Ballarat that she tossed out all the oil and everything. And um, Jenny's, my, Jenny said she went to visit her mum one day and her mum normally needs a jar opener, has stiff fingers, had a walking frame. And her mum just said, I'll just go across the room and get it and bounced out of her chair and bounded across the room. And to Jenny, it was like, oh, never <laughs> move like that. And so Jenny's mum sort of, says now says look i don't need any special motivation to stick to this sort of no oil no fish no animal products diet because um you know if i go out and i have one oily meal then the next day my fingers are stiff again mm. so that that's she's she's an example of uh you know of, of you can be in, you can be over 80 years old and you can still get health improvements and relief from um, arthritis, pain and stiffness. It's not to say that, you know, she doesn't still have arthritic joints and that she's in perfect health, but so much symptomatic relief so quickly. And, you know, so easy when you've really got quite significant, you know, osteo-rheumatoid arthritis, it doesn't take much to tip you back into it. You know, and I was like, if you're eating, you know, a piece of, chicken every second day and on the other days you're having just a little bit of oil or you're having too many nuts and seeds as part of your diet that could be enough that can be enough to maintain the uh the pain and aching i remember i had a patient who saw me several times um this lady and i think it was difficult in her family sort of context for her and she never quite stopped the oil and she never quite got off the prednisolone and her rheumatoid arthritis sort of finger pain and stiffness never quite went away Oh, absolutely. Can attest to that. And I'm sure everyone listening or watching this is nodding right now if they have inflammatory arthritis and they've just cheated a little bit here and there on those sort of foods. Uh, the impact can be swift and quite uh, aggressive. So we have to be very, very careful on our uh, discipline, really. Someone that I thought of when you were talking about Jenny's mother, uh, just as we come close to wrapping this up, was my own mum, who has never had any symptoms of autoimmunity, and nor has my dad. Um, however, they went on a trip to Thailand and spent a couple of weeks in Thailand and ate out every meal, all of the um, you know classic Thai meals like your pad Thais and all of the style of cooking that Thai folks are you know doing every day, which is always stir fries and always some kind of vegetable oil underneath the uh, underneath the cooking. And mum came home with stiff hands, like she found the closing of her hands to be problematic. And it was, you know, worrying her and bothering her. And I said, mum, I said, I think that it's all the oil and and possibly just the different foods on top of just the oil that she consumed whilst in Thailand. And I said, eat tons and tons of leafy greens now that you're home, really get away from uh uh, any unnecessary meats because they've been mostly plant-based for several years since they saw my transformation, which is a bizarre and amazing because they live on a farm and, you know, they're rural Australia where it's classic kind of, you know, meat, meat sort of heavy. Mm. And it all went away. 
it all went away again a couple of weeks after she got back from overseas. But, you know, for someone who doesn't have a pre-existing condition or that we knew of, it can show how quickly things can shift. And so when you do have an active baseline level of inflammation, then yes, the effect of adding something detrimental to that when the flame is already burning uh, is quick and, uh, and nasty. Mm. And and you mentioned the uh, green leafy vegetables and uh, what was Robin Tudor calls them, naturopath Robin Tudor, she calls them uh, GLVs. And uh, yeah, a big plug for green leafy vegetables. Like they're, they're like they're like whether you're um, trying to um, uh, improve your artery function and you've got heart disease, or whether you're trying to dampen down um, inflammatory joint disease. Um, you know, green leafy vegetables are crucial. I mean, Jenny and I, you know, we have a, a side of steamed kale with balsamic vinegar as an entree to our breakfast because I'm I've started to sort of see think more and more that these are things to eat several times a day, you know, the green leafy vegetables. Well, people who follow my podcast know I'm obsessed by it. And, um, you know, it's basically in my my phrase is greenomania. You just can't get more greens into you. You know, I'll often finish a meal with a, like I'll have salad with lunch and dinner. And often the last thing I'll eat at the, I'll save some leafy greens to finish off with so that my teeth, end up having them on in my mouth for my you know oral probiotics um i will make sure that i also use the leafy greens as a counter uh, counter cavity strategy because they're so good at mopping up sugars on the teeth and of course just so fantastic for anti-inflammatory so you know i i just think that in terms of the most important thing in the diet other than the calorie perform for providing foods are our leafy greens. So I'm glad you uh, I'm glad you put them at such a high priority in your uh, your family as well. Well, Dr. Mackay, thanks so much for coming on and sharing your wisdom with us early in the morning. And I'm uh, very grateful. And I know, and I wanted to plug the fact that you also do Skype calls to people in Australia because it's very hard to find a doctor who is also interested in supporting a plant-based nutrition lifestyle and offering that real niche insight into how to find that balance and when to focus on the pharmaceutical emphasis and when it can be okay to back off a little bit. So um, tell us what your website is. Tell us how people can contact you via Skype uh, and any other thing you'd like to share. Uh, yeah, so like our main nutrition website is the uh, Whole Foods Plant-Based Health website. We have the Facebook page. Plant-Based Health Australia. Um, you can find out more about um, uh, the telehealth or Skype consultations um, on drmalcolmmackay.com.au. So that's just drmalcolmmackay.com.au. Now, I'm only licensed within Australia, so I only conduct uh, telehealth consultations with people who are in Australia. And it's like an ordinary consultation, except I can't reach over and look down your throat. But for chronic disease, it's often like you can show me your blood sugar record, you can show me your blood pressure, and I can order pathology tests and email people pathology requests. We can do all of that. And I guess, um, you know, the person may have their usual local doctor who may, you know, like, oh, the diet's, you keep doing what you're doing, um, uh, or worse. But, yeah, I can help people with um, little bits of input about, 
you know, in particular, as they, you know, I can sort of help them define tune what they're doing with their diet and lifestyle, and then provide medical input on, on um, um, you know, how to safely, hopefully, start deprescribing some of their medications. Yeah, that's what everyone wants to hear. Deprescribing. I've never, never had that phrase pass me by before, but I love it. I love it. Tapering is a word that we always use. Tapering medications comes up a lot mm. because mm. of the sort of frequent use of prednisone and other steroids within the rheumatoid community is where they always get tapered. But uh, yeah, deprescribing. Fantastic. There's the word for the day. Thank you. Well, I hope everyone's enjoyed uh, having uh, you uh, share your wisdom. And I certainly have myself. So thanks very much. And I hope your immersion that's coming up in just a week or so from now uh, goes really, really well. And it, uh, so hopefully some of the uh, people who've um, witnessed this episode might come join you in the future. So thanks very much. Thanks, Clint. We look forward to seeing some of those people. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com. Thank you.